0: Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode 133 My guest today is Dr. Avitalo Glosser. She's a physician at Oregon Health Sciences University, and she joined me to collaborate on our second Explore the Space white paper. And this is a white paper looking at social media, podcasts, and blogs on residency and fellowship ERAS applications. This is a really interesting conversation. We're building on this theme that keeps coming up of how do we modernize, how do we adapt the ways that we promote ourselves whether it's on a professional CV or in this situation unique to the practice of medicine, this ERAS application, but it's applicable across the board. This question is applicable to any profession. We generated a white paper because we're in that application season where medical students are applying for their residency programs, residents are applying for fellowships, and they use this ERAS platform, and we wanted to come up with some ideas, some thoughts, some guidance around how to include these incredible mission-driven social media activities. So this is building on that same practice. We got to collaborate again with Vinny Aurora and with Charlie Ray. You can listen to their podcast that we did and the white paper that we wrote on social media and the professional CV that is in the archive. And you can get into the Explore the Space archive at www.explorethespaceshow. You can also find me on social media. I'm very active on Twitter at ETSshow. You can find me on Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at exploretespace show.com. You can also check out this episode if you go onto the website and you click on about, you'll find our four pillars. And this episode is going to be listed on the innovation and education pillar. So that's a great way to look for how we're categorizing some of the content that's in our archive as well. You'll be able to find this episode on all of your favorite platforms. Please share it. Residents, medical students, fellows, faculty program directors this is unique stuff this is good content that helps guide this really important question so please feel free to share it we're on all of your usual podcast platforms anywhere you like to listen to podcasts explore the spaces there please do take a few seconds to leave us a rating and a review wherever you download your shows as well that really helps the show out so all that said this is a really important topic social media podcasts and blogs for medical students and residents who are applying for residencies and fellowships on the ers application So here's Avi Taloglosser. Avi, welcome back to Explore the Space. Good to have you.
1: Thanks. I'm happy to be back.
0: So we got to collaborate, not just on a podcast, but we got to do a white paper together. This was fun.
1: It was very fun. It was very meaningful. It felt very impactful, uh, and it was really fun to be that creative and out ahead of the pack.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I liked about it, too, for me that's a good exercise is on this show, we do things that really are generalizable, for uh-huh. a broad audience. And I think that this still is in that category. Even though this topic is very specific to people applying for a medical residency or people applying for a fellowship, it's this, still this idea of how do we get our social media contributions into our professional advancement. And so I would suggest that while the, the granular aspects of this are obviously specific to medicine, the concepts are really widely applicable.
1: Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. Um, I think there are a lot of lessons here in terms of professional development and finding your right pathway and being able to communicate why you're on that pathway rather than, quote, unquote, I'm doing air quotes. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> traditional... We can see them. We can see them, yeah.
1: <laughs> you, you can totally see the, the air quotes. Yeah. like the traditional career development, professional development, CV building pathways. So I think my hope that this will spill over into other realms. And and you and I have even been on conversations on med Twitter or on Twitter with non-medical individuals. Uh, So there's, you know, we sort of discovered the the hashtag sci Twitter or um, science communication recently. So it's not just physicians, physicians in training nurses, other members of the healthcare team who are, in um, in a position to benefit from using and then communicating how they use Twitter. Um, but sciences, non-science fields, uh, I anticipate there's a lot, there, there will be applicability and,
0: and overlap here. No question. So the, the white paper that we collaborated on with Vinnie Aurora and Charlie Ray, it's on social media and the ERAS application for residency and fellowship. Social media – It's on social media, podcasts, and blogs on a residency or fellowship ERAS Mm -hmm. application. But you could easily take out the residency fellowship ERAS application and substitute in anything else. What you said about how we are rethinking and reshaping how we do this, you're right. And so that's my hope that this – if the specifics aren't applicable to you, that it inspires other people to be thinking about, gosh, how does this apply to engineering or law or – any other of the myriad professions where you have to submit a CV or an application.
1: I think that's that's a really good way to say that. And again, your first white paper with Charlie and Vinny looked at the professional CV. And even if you follow the banter, so many people's home institutions have different templates for the CV. So even with the CV where there's a lot of flexibility... Um, Some people sometimes still felt very pigeonholed into a template. When we decided to write the second white paper specifically for medical students applying for residency or residents applying for fellowship, we looked at, we acknowledged the fact that there was a a very uh, rigid, for lack of a better word, pre-existing template being the ERS application. But we haven't even scratched the surface of... uh, and My kids are far away from this, but like, what does the common application look like for colleges now? There's so many youngsters using social media. And again, as we described this in the paper, we're not just talking about Twitter, Twitter, Instagram and, or Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, um, but novel, non-traditional platforms, which is why we included blogs and we included podcasting. Uh, and who knows what will join that Fred, right. in the next five right. to ten years?
0: Yeah, there's more to come for sure. So let's let's jump into this a little bit. Let's sure. talk about the the ERs application. And and here's here's my funny story. Literally the day after we released this, I was going through a box that's in my office because I felt like I had misplaced all of my diplomas and certificates and mm-hmm. whatnot after we had moved. And I was really frustrated and I open up a box and I thankfully found everything. So that's cool. I found my ERAS application.
1: You said that on your interview with Sasha Shulcut Shil- on her Brave Enough podcast. Oh, that was so cool to hear.
0: It, it was really cool, but I had that visceral reaction again. I really did of this. Is this right? Is there enough stuff on it? Is this the, mm-hmm. who was I at the time? I reread it and I was like, oh, oh my goodness. It's a, it's a really hard thing to step through. And we've been watching a lot of folks on social media talking about, because we're in the midst of the process right now, talking about, mm-hmm. how, is this the right reflection of myself? And yeah. and I, that that was actually helpful for me to feel like we're doing the right work. But I don't want to start with the applicants. I want to start with the people that you and I, I would suggest, got the most feedback from. That again felt really invigorating, and that was from people on the other side of the equation.
1: That's the, true. The I program directors not anticipated that that would be. what yeah. I'd say two thirds of the feedback we received on Twitter was from those, not just in practice, but those in leadership positions in residency programs.
0: What feedback? What was your perception of the feedback that we got from the program directors, from the residency directors, from the fellowship directors when they reached out and said, "We've read this white paper." What was your perspective on that feedback?
1: Without trying to toot our own horn, it, it was overwhelmingly positive. I don't know that we had any overtly negative feedback on Twitter. There were some questions and caveats, but nothing overtly negative or along the lines of you're, you're dooming resident or resident future residents to, to sabotage. You're going to make them sabotage their application. There was nothing to that effect. Uh, and given how open access... Uh, Twitter is, if there was true negative feedback, I would have expected to have seen it.
0: Um, I I agree with that. But I think the caveats are worth mentioning. What I took away from the feed, Yeah. yeah. So this is all well and good. And it's clear that there is demand on both sides for this sort of learning and advancement. We should be clear, there are some caveats that go along with this work. And the four of us that created this, and we reached out to other people as well, we wanted to make sure that we can be clear on not just what the strengths of this white paper are but also what are the things that people need to be aware of
1: Absolutely yeah like we and we didn't want to be so over the top enthusiastic about this that again we we set people up for lack of success um i think one of the valid concerns is it is there anything that could be discoverable that you do not want shared you know the adage is a tweet never dies somebody's always screen grabbed it you there have been high profile instances in the news lately on high school students who have gotten into certain colleges whose acceptances were revoked because somebody found something two or three years old on social media that was inappropriate, either sexually inappropriate or, or racist, um, or something to that effect. And it's often that uphill battle to say, to prove that you've changed, uh, that you are a different person, that you are a better person, that you've learned from your past ways. Um, so I think if there's anything concerning uh, if If you um, not not to cater to too many stereotypes, but if the first three years of your Twitter feed was really immature uh, you know weekend jests, you probably do not want to put this on your application. If you have been mission driven, especially as a member of the medical community from the beginning, then most likely you are in a safer position. I think one of the other uh, specific comments we got. Is um, again, you know, we talked about. Programs seem very excited about this program. Leadership seems very excited about this. But there may be programs that are really, really not ready for this and really um, not enthusiastic about this. You know, I think the line from from Ben Schneider, who's actually one of the vice deans of student affairs at, at my institution, uh, used the line of uh, "stodgy, elder state statespersons." You know, not all. Pro- you know, I'm very fortunate that OHSU is very eager and excited about social media and has a lot of guidance. At, uh, for faculty and student support, but not every program is like that. Um, so so Ben also f- typed to us, do you have a sense of how progressive the GME world
0: is? And I think that um, that gets to a point that is important that if you are unsure, especially around the specialty or the institution, and and I think that this is elucidated pretty clearly in the white paper, It's it's imperative that you ask for input either from right. the program Or from a mentor who may be able to give you some guidance. This is changing very rapidly and I think that you make a good point and I think Ben makes a good point. We shouldn't assume that every program has the same level of interest, engagement, things like that. There's a lot of programs out there. And so it's really essential that the the thoughtful candidate that wants to think about including this stuff – make sure you ask the questions. Don't assume anything and ask the right questions. Yeah. I think it's also good for us to say, and again, we, we put this forward in the white paper. This is not something that we did in collaboration with the ERAS organization. Uh, this was something that's done on our own hook. So it hasn't been reviewed or endorsed uh, in any way by by ERAS. But again, it's this idea of we know people are doing the work. There are clearly programs that want to know about this that are going to look for it anyway. Yeah. And you're looking for the right match. And so asking those questions and thinking about how they fit in, what fits in, what's the right stuff to do, that's really important to be very careful, be, be pragmatic, but be proactive and, and try to work yep. through the problem
1: exactly and and ben's ben had a series of four tweets to us the of course if you're if you're a meded hashtag meded blogger and founded your own platform, would you really want to train at a program using stodgy elder elder states persons as gatekeepers? Maybe this is another way for folks to find the program that is the best for their interest p d s take note <laughs> that's really true again like as i just as i as i alluded to I want. Any trainee and any member of our profession to feel engaged and be able to pursue the outlets that leave them feeling engaged.
0: I think the feedback that I took away from it was, this is the right work for a couple of reasons. Number one, we, and when I say we, I mean the the directors that kind of gave us feedback, we Mm -hmm. are looking anyway. We're going to look at your social media profile. We're going to, if you have a podcast, hopefully we've heard it. We're interested. So we're we're looking because we want to know this. And the reason is, is it fits with their mission, which is to find out about personality, about character, about ideals, about energy to try to find the right fits for their program. And they recognize clearly that this is where the vast majority of applicants live. They are on social media. They read and write and contribute to blogs. They Uh read and contribute and and, and start podcasts. And they do YouTube videos and they do incredible mission-driven work. The ERAS application doesn't make it crystal clear on where to put it, but they're looking for that stuff. And that was helpful to know that this This wasn't just tossed into the void this white paper that the that the program directors actively want to know what their candidates are doing so that they can learn from it and participate, but most importantly, try to make sure they're getting the right fit
1: correct and and you use the term mission driven which is important to highlight from the first work you did in your first white paper that we're not talking about. The, the personal use of social media in that I have an Instagram account and I share photos with my family and my friends. This is specific, uh, dedicated, intentional, novel platform use. So again, not just social media, but platforms and blogs are so really that, that cluster of the new and exciting and non-traditional. Using it for learning, using it for teaching, using it for advocacy, Using it for mentorship and professional development, and that last part is one of my favorite things to talk about. And I think we talked about that when we sat down um, at SHM and recorded the, our first episode t- together. That the it's not even an intangible anymore because we can really put. A, a description to it and try to quantify it and qualify it that an applicant who is on social media participating in humanistic conversations meeting um, meeting the people that they want to become be it a woman in surgery be it an under member of an underrepresented minority in a field that classically has not included members of underrepresented minorities they are using these discussion platforms to really, to become the future physician that they want to be, or didn't even know that they wanted to be. Um, So that mission-driven element is a really important part of this. And and in terms of encouraging people to use the ERS, use their personal statements, um, use their journey through the application process. And and I've pinged off of this, um, thinking of some of the themes and Catch, not catchphrase, catchphrases undercuts it, but some of these powerful statements that have come out of other, your other episodes with physicians in leadership or non physicians in leadership. I think it was Dr. Joseph Sacron who said on his um, episode that many, many people have a narrative and need to have a platform to tell their stories. And I think, um, not to demean the work that he's doing with gun violence, but I think that absolutely sums up what we're trying to do here that these are excited and engaged engaged students who really have the potential to contribute and giving them a voice to share who they are and what their values are through the application process, which is an incredibly stressful year, um, will hopefully get them matches at the best place for them to excel um, and help them share their dedication and commitment and work in the field beyond peer-reviewed publications or traditional research, especially
0: bench research. So I want to just pluck out one of those many pearls that you just sort of laid together, which is why I wanted to do this in the first place. You said to for, for applicants for candidates to match at the best program for them to excel, not yes. at the quote-unquote best program. That exactly – that statement right there is why this work for me is really important. I am not part of a residency program anymore. I don't review – right. re, people know this this isn't a secret i don't review residency applications or fellowship applications i went through that process i remember how it all made me feel i remember the 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 strongest sense of dread that i had was not that i wasn't going to get into a any program at all because i was applying into a residency internal medicine where there were spots that i would find a spot somewhere in the united states where i could do a residency i was afraid that i wouldn't find a spot that would where I would be able to be a whole human being, where I'd be able to Uh excel in and out of the hospital. That was my concern. And I think that for me, this work resonates because if we can give people even 1% more strength and confidence that they're going to find the best program for them based on this demonstrable demand for people to be able to understand their candidates better, that feels right. That feels like the right work.
1: Absolutely,
0: so there's this sense of where do I put this, and am I doing it wrong? Is that the sense that you've gotten, or am I misreading this?
1: No, I think that's the sense that I've gotten both for for those in training and those who are are in practice either in academics or or non academics, and I know you take it like that that's a tough term to throw at because we're all learning at any given time. um, I think the overwhelming sentiment has been I don't know that I'm even allowed to put it out there. So I'm not going to even try, or if I put it out there, I don't know how it will be received or if it will sort of sabotage my attempts to communicate who I am. And there've been plenty of, we both participated in plenty of conversations on Twitter where someone might have thrown out a statement to the extent of, uh, I recorded a podcast and I was not just, I don't know where to put it, but I was told not to put it on a CV or an application.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, which I find mind goggling
0: The interesting thing too, is that if you're going to continue to do it as a resident, as a fellow, if you, if you're participating in, in a podcast and some of the very best podcasts that are out there are, are staffed by residents and medical students and people that are going to do, if you're going to continue to do this work, you should absolutely represent it. If you're going to stop, you, that's up to you. And I, I'm not sure exactly how you would want to do that if, if it's still something that people can find, but if you want to continue to do it, if it is that mission driven stuff, uh-huh. then it needs to be there. I agree. Is there, do you think that there's a sense that the ERAS application is a living document that is able to evolve okay. over time?
1: You know, I'm over a decade out from applying yeah. for residency, um, I'm about a decade exactly from uh, attempting to apply for fellowship. Um, so it, it's been a while since I've used ERAS. My sense is that ERAS was not a living document. Um, I even remember in the three years between applying for residency and then uh, submitting a fellowship application, I thought I could, I could pull forward my my early my first ERAS application. Um, and then utilize it as the the basis or the preliminary information for the fellowship, which will then need three years of updates. Um, and there was no way to say, like, this was my old application. Let me update and refresh it. Like, if my CV uh, – and this is another recent conversation on, on social media – like. I update my CV very, very frequently. I mean, you know, at least monthly just to keep it as a living document and so I'm not trying to jog my memory. Um, but when I sat down and tried to apply for fellowship, I li- luckily I had printed out my, you saw, you, found, you talked about how you found your hard copy of your ERS. I had printed it um, and found it in the basement and literally was transcribing most of my, me- my residency application from ERS into a new document. Um, And and honestly, I don't know if that's changed at all in the last
0: decade. Yeah. But my
1: stance is that it is a kind of a one and done. You are applying for residency or you are applying for fellowship.
0: That's a good point. And I think you're right that the ERAS itself is static and you kind of use the the once, but you want to have something in the background on your CV that you can easily – pull up and then adapt to whatever you may be applying to. At the same time, it'll be interesting to see if over time the ERAS application itself does add a section that makes it clear that if you have social media contributions that are mission-driven, this is where you should put them to, to kind of okay. lift away that sense of weight or anxiety that applicants have been expressing. That, Look, I'm doing this stuff. I find it meaningful. It's I have demonstrable metrics. It's impactful. And I'm going to keep doing it. I just don't know where to put it. I don't know I don't know how to represent yeah. it so that the programs see it. I recognize that the programs want to see it. So there might be a little bit of a mismatch there that the tool perhaps could modify itself a little bit. Maybe it could. We're building an interesting curriculum here. There's there's this material for how to do for how to consider putting social media contributions on an ERAS application. There's content on in our in the first white paper around a professional CV and social media contributions. We just had an amazing thread on Twitter mm-hmm. <clears throat> from Kimberly Manning on how to write a letter of recommendation. Oh, that was
1: incredible! So
0: good. There is another one again just this week on how to write the personal statement, and that conversation we're timestamping us ourselves a little bit. Such good stuff. I I, I love that there's this awakening that we can modernize yeah. this application process. It's never going to be easy, and it shouldn't be easy. It's supposed to be a challenge, right? You 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 want to figure out and do some introspection to really represent the best you and the real you for a program to to create that best fit. Do you feel a sense of I don't know? Do you feel a sense of innovation and of excitement around kind of this milieu of of, of shared learning?
1: I do, and I'm I'm glad you're phrasing that question. I think this is these are really exciting times. That's going to sound pedantic, um, and I know you don't like platitudes, but like this is a really exciting time, and I feel like we are. You know, this wave is building, not starting to build. The wave is built, but it's building. And I think we even talked about um, when do we strike when the iron is hot. How? What's our tempo with this? And it, it does not feel like this wave is any close. We're close to to cresting and crashing.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think, that, I, and again, this idea of tempo is such a good one. And I love that there are other people weighing. And we have all of this shared knowledge and shared experience. There's no reason for us to hold on to it. That's why I love these white papers. Right? We can express concepts, best practices based on experience, based on idea and and put them out there and people can take from them as they wish and learn from as they wish and ignore them as they wish too. But this is useful stuff. I really appreciate how invested you've been in this. You reached out with the idea. We got it together quickly. I know this was important for you as well. And I think for lots of people, it will resonate either because they filled one of these out at some point they're in the middle of doing it now, or they're going to approach that place, or they're the ones who are going to read it. So it allows a lot of people to have that sense of ownership. So well done to you for putting this all together.
1: Thank you. And you talk about, like, what does it feel like to be in this in this space? I mean, it's just, as a mentor and as a mentee, it's just been fascinating to watch this evolve. I've been on social media. I've been on Twitter for almost four and a half years And gosh, the last, like the last two years, especially has just been so dynamic and just rich and vibrant. And uh, I've, I've participated in conversations to this effect. I think I even once had a a tweet where I said, you know, am I romanticizing too much? And we talked about getting people their voice, giving them a chance to share things that are meaningful to them and help them feel engaged in learning and contributing to their patients and the profession and I think you even talked about this with, um, on the brave enough podcast, like do things that actually fulfill you the like nose to the grindstone. I've got to turn out publications so that they can be on an application and make me a more desirable candidate. That's going to lead to burnout. And I think giving people a voice to say, you know what, I'm not going spending hours and going cross-eyed looking at an Excel database, trying to do a retrospective chart review study. I'm writing a blog post about advocacy and disseminating it and having conversations about it on social media or, you know, personally, I I think my number of citations is, like, still well in the low double digits for the few, publica- like, peer-reviewed publications I've had, but I go on a podcast. Yours, uh, I had the privilege of being on The Curbsiders. I can just have this tremendous impact by having a much, much larger audience and, um, And it leaves me feeling fulfilled and engaged. And I want other people to have those kind of outlets too, to say like, you know what? I'm not spending my one month summer break in med school. I don't even know how long summer breaks in med school are, honestly. Um, But I'm going to be on the, I'm going to be on the production team for a podcast rather than doing bench research between rotations. And that's going to leave me more fulfilled. It's going to help my self discovery. And it's, I feel like I'm going to have a much bigger impact to the profession.
0: That's mission driven. That's why we do this. And it's the same thing. It's great to hear that. This was really fun. And I think that there's going to be more of this sort of work to do. Again, we're, we're, we're done with applying for residency and fellowship. It doesn't mean that we can't still contribute and help grow the process and help make it more efficient, more effective. To me, that feels aspirational. There's generations of physicians that are coming forward with skill sets that boggle the mind and are, are, they're just so talented. They're so good at using these new tools. Uh-huh. And we want to make sure that. It's, and it's pretty clear the programs want this too. They want these They want these candidates in their programs to help be a part of all of that. So this is really exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much for helping create this white paper. And thanks so much for coming on and, and teasing out what we're trying to do here. So this was great, Avi. Thank you.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show, and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.